Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is a Lip Media Podcast. You're listening to All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea Gillis. And I'm Steph Page. We're two Canadian expats now living in Australia and the UK. Between the two of us, we've been through the ringer in our travels, experiencing missed flights, volcanic eruptions, and even a terrorist attack. It's not all that extreme, though. We've also experienced heartwarming, life-changing moments and met amazing people along the way. So kick back and listen to All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. Welcome to another episode of All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea. And I'm Steph. Hey, Steph. Uh, So this week, guys, we've got another really exciting episode for you all. We've done another interview. And I know in the past few months, we've done a lot of content about COVID. I mean, this is just the reality that we're living in right now. Um, And in terms of what we think is going to happen within the travel community, and this is just based off mine and Steph's own predictions. But, you know, as we always say, we're not... We're not experts in the travel industry. So we thought it would be best to bring someone on that is an expert that works in the travel industry and that can talk to us a little bit more about what we actually think is what they think is actually going to happen post this COVID world, whenever that may be. Yeah, this week we're joined by Nizrina Tossi. So she's the host of Out Travel the System, which is a travel podcast brought to you by Expedia. Yeah. So let's jump right in. So much for joining us this week to chat travel with Steph and I. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we have done uh, a few episodes in the last few months relating to COVID and how the future of travel is going to change. Um, but a lot of that's just been sort of mine and Steph's opinions. And we're definitely, we say this all the time, we are definitely not experts. We are just lovers of travel. So it's really great to get uh, to get you on with some expert opinion on it rather than just what, what we think is going to happen. So I think we just want to go straight into it in terms of let's talk trends, 2020 trends, 2021 trends. I would imagine the trends that you guys are seeing right now are a lot different than previous years. Um, And I'd imagine it's just been a a lot harder to predict than previous years. So I guess what are some of the big changes that you guys are seeing in terms of traveling in the next in the next year or so? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, when COVID hit, it sort of turned the travel industry upside down. And that goes for all of the airlines, the hoteliers, but even us as sort of like a third party online travel agency. So, um, you know, what we saw was after that initial rush of people sort of canceling their travel plans mm. over the course of the last couple of months, we've seen travel start to pick up again. But it's definitely looking a lot different than it, we expected it to. So first and foremost, people are absolutely staying close to home. And that's most likely because of border closings or quarantine or lockdown restrictions, but travelers are incredibly resilient. And what we know is that if you want to travel, that travel bug does not ever really go away, right? So for a lot of, exactly. So for a lot of people who, you know, have kids and it's summer vacation, um, they want to take them places. They want to give them those experiences. So they're getting really, really creative and they're exploring their own backyards so we're seeing a lot of staycations, a lot of road trips, um, <clears throat> a lot of national parks, especially here in the United States, are seeing a huge influx in um, in tourists coming over because people, 
you know, are really recognizing that they can go and enjoy the beauty of the outdoors, which is really perfect for sort of social distancing and things like that. So they're still able to take those vacations and connect with their friends and loved ones, but in a more sort of responsible and safe way. Yeah. And I know Steph, Steph and I have mentioned that before, where I think sometimes when we think of travel, we think of these big extravagant trips where you, you know, you have to book a flight somewhere. It has to be hours sitting on a plane and fancy hotels and it doesn't have to be. And and we've actually done a whole episode on staycations and things that you can do that are just in your backyard. Um, and I think a lot of time we forget, you know, depending on where we, we, we live there's so much to see in the countries that we that we live in um so yeah absolutely i think you know i know staycations are big i think with a certain sort of set of people who just really sort of understand the value of of just getting away even if it is for one night and i think there's also a lot of people who just love the idea of staying in a hotel and things like that so people who are really prone to that idea were able to i think really maximize on that trend super quickly Um, And then sort of others, you know, slowly but surely came around. Obviously, vacation rentals are a huge part of that. Um, So we've seen a massive rise in terms of vacation rental bookings. And, you know, people are still sort of getting in their cars and taking those long drives. So, you know, we're seeing trips as close as like, you know, 30 minutes or an hour away up to, you know, even like 12 hour drives. So they're making a whole trip out of it where they can. It's like the whole road trip. I mean, Steph, you love a road trip. Steph is like the evangelist of a road trip. (laughs) Are you? (laughs) I I love that. I love that. Um, And I suppose if you're living in, I mean, we can, we can speak regionally as well, but like, depending on what country you live in, like Steph's over in Australia, Australia is such a great place to do road trips. Um, You know, Canada and the U S as well. Um, but yeah, I guess in terms of just like, I think we mentioned this again in a previous episode, just looking at, you know, are we seeing a spike in people doing more of like those camping excursions or RVs almost, um, versus, you know, spending their money on hotels and yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, actually just the other day I was researching and I was looking at hashtag van life and I was super curious to see sort of what, what's been happening with that hashtag over like the course of the year since the pandemic. And just to give you context, in June of 2019, it had been used like 260 times. In June 2020, it was used 26,000 times. Wow. So if that's any indicator on sort of how people are evolving and adjusting, I think um, absolutely we're seeing people sort of get in their cars, get in an RV, rent a camper van even, Mm. and sort of take it and exploring their own backyards or different parts of the country where they can. Yeah. And I know um, even in the UK, I mean, I've got a couple friends that have bought camper vans or rented RVs just for the weekend. Because I think, yeah, even in the UK, a lot of people are starting to explore some of these areas. And I've said this before, I've been over here for 10 years, and I actually feel like I've probably explored more of, you know, the countries that surround the UK, like in Europe, versus actually exploring the UK. And I've used this as an, as an opportunity to do little road trips, even day trips. It's so easy to do some day trips um, and just see some beautiful sights. I'd be lying if I said, I've, I've been researching camper vans and I'm absolutely not an outdoorsy person. Like I am a hotel person through and through. I love the luxury of them. I love sort of the idea of going and staying in a hotel room and ordering room service and wearing the robe. But obviously things have changed right now and I've got a young baby, so... Um, we've got to get a little bit more creative. So I started researching like camper vans and trailers and RVs just to sort of see what that world was like. And obviously my husband's like 
put me in check a couple times. I've been like, maybe we should rent one first before we just like go and spend thousands of dollars and buy one. Um, but I'm I'm there. I'm going down that path. I feel like this is, I think travelers have certain travel behaviors that they will always absolutely have. So if you're a vacation rental person, you will always be a vacation rental person. If you're a hotel person, you'll always be a hotel person. But I think what we're seeing in this pandemic is that people are breaking out of their comfort zones a little bit and trying out new things and new experiences, which may not necessarily mean that they're going to, you know, all of a sudden only stay in RVs from here on out. But it just means that they'll be willing to try it, um, you know, even when COVID is gone and, you know, hopefully when everything is back to normal, it, they'll probably still go and, and stick to their same travel behaviors, but it just means that I think they're going to be more willing to try and test out all of these other things, which I think overall just makes your sort of travel experiences much more rich. Yeah. And we've mentioned this so many times before anyways, but the whole idea of traveling is kind of getting out of your comfort zone, um, you know, trying new things. And even if that's, you know, and we think of that as a way in terms of maybe trying new foods or new activities, but even the way that you travel and we've said it before, like maybe you've never stayed in a hostel before. And a lot of people have, you know, a negative view on hostels and, you know, Steph and I are like, maybe just try it. There's, it's not, it's not all bad. There's some really positive things from that. Yeah, exactly. And same with the whole, as you said, you know, you're not really an outdoorsy type person, but you know, there's glamping, like it's kind of in the middle. (laughs) You still get that sort of camping experience, but you know, you can still get the robe slippers if you want. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, you just have to open your mind to it and actually just start researching it. I think I actually had no idea that Expedia even sold these, but um, we have these sort of lodging accommodations called tentalos that we sell in some parts of the country, which are basically like glamping, like yurts, if you will, um, that are almost like run by hotels. Um, and so you get very similar services, but you get, it's sort of that mix of, of the outdoors and um, the luxury of a hotel. So it's really interesting. And, you know, p- most people probably wouldn't even know, A, what a tentalo is, or B, that they could even search for that kind of stuff on sites like Expedia. Well, and it's true. I think even in the last, you know, few years, just in terms of like accommodation, if we think about that, it's you can find very unique places to stay that aren't just hotels. And when I think of, you know, my parents' generation, like they automatically, if they book something, they're like, I'm going to book a hotel. It's like, well, you know, there's other options. And like you even said, like a yurt. I've stayed in a yurt before. It's very cool. And some of them are a lot nicer than some of the hotels I've stayed in. But I bet it's, you know, I guess it's more part of them. It's not just the accommodation, but it's part of the experience as well, which I think it's like, you know, two birds, one stone. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I lived in Dubai for almost two years and staycations were huge there. And the reason for that was because the hotels were so extravagant and they had these amazing experiences that it was the whole part of sort of getting away and going and spending a weekend in a desert resort where you sort of walked out of your room and you see nothing but sand and this there's this like infinity pool Mm. type situation you don't even want to leave your your room because that's sort of what you're there for and you're there for that whole experience and I think you're right I think back in you know the 80s and 90s these types of places just probably didn't exist and so lodging and accommodations were much more functional than they were experiential. And now we've definitely seen that huge shift. And, you know, you see things like tree houses that you can book and 
all of these other alternative accommodations. And so now I feel like that has become such a huge part of your travel experience. Every single time I travel anywhere, that's actually the first thing I look for is I filter to see if there's more of an experiential accommodation versus Mm. traditional places. When I went to see Steph last year, Steph basically booked this whole week-long road trip we were doing down Great Ocean Road. And we actually stayed in an old jail cell one night. <laughs> it sounds wow. oh it sounds goodness. a lot like creepier than it is. Actually no. It's it was no, pretty it was pretty creepy. <laughs> it was pretty creepy. But it was really cool. They had um taken taken over this this old jail basically and they turned all the rooms um or all the old cells into into rooms. So we stayed there. We stayed in bunk beds. We got that authentic in prison experience, I guess. Granted, we were allowed out <laughs> at night, but it yeah. was very cool. And you know, and I know again, Steph's very much into those, uh, as am I, and those unique experience sort of accommodation spots. And that was that one was very cool. So, yeah, you just gotta filter those out and look for them because they do exist. Absolutely. Do you think that with everything going on and people are staying closer to home, do you think? What is going on with COVID is going to change the demand and the price. Are we going to see major price differences for all these different things? Or is it? Yeah. Listen, I think, well, first of all, the pr- pricing in the travel industry is, has always been incredibly dynamic um, because so many factors go into how the price gets adjusted. Obviously there's capacity, there's demand, there's how many routes or how many, you know, flights are flying that same route or how many, um, you know, how many hotels there are in the area. So there's always been a lot of different factors that, um, that affect it. Obviously COVID has come in. And so we're seeing, we're seeing things really honestly jump around. Um, you know, in one instance, we saw people able to book flights, um, you know, from Seattle to Chicago for a hundred dollars round trip, which is absolutely unheard of Mm. yet you know, flights to Florida, for example, were almost were more expensive than they were the same time last year. So, you know, I think it really is hard to predict and to tell whether there's going to be any sort of long standing change. You know, the reality is, is that these airlines, you know, because of what was happening with all of the refunds or vouchers and things like that, they obviously still need to make their money, right? They need to make sure that they can cover their costs. So, I don't think we're going to see this really dramatic drop in prices where everything's going to be dirt cheap. I think they're going to be much more manageable because they want to put them at a place that are much more palatable and people are able to sort of actually shop for. But I don't think they're going to get super, super expensive. Um, But I don't think they're going to be dirt cheap. That being said, you can find dirt cheap prices, right? So there are airlines out there who are selling fares where it's like $10 one way or things like that. Now it's absolutely going to be a basic economy fare with like zero flexibility probably. Yeah. But there are definitely fares out there that are really, really cheap right now. So I think it's hard to say what the overall trend's going to be. I would say we're definitely seeing a mix of both. It's it's funny that you mentioned the the ten dollar flights and over here in Europe, obviously our, our you know, we've got our budget airline that's Ryanair and EasyJet. And Ryanair is doing, um, while they're not dropping their prices, because their prices are pretty cheap anyways, but with Ryanair, you get what you pay for, and everyone knows that. (laughs) But they're doing like a two-for-one deal right now, which I've never seen an airline do this. So you basically book one flight, and you get the next one for free if it's like around the same price or something. 
which everyone's kind of like, wow, wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah. But again, it's Ryanair. It's one of those where you're like, all right, you know, and they, they're the type, the way they run their business as well. Like they don't, they tell you, you get what you pay for there. I don't know if you've ever um, seen their CEO. I can't remember his name, but if you ever follow him on Twitter, it's hilarious. Cause he just, customer service is awful, <laughs> but they're like, you pay $10 <laughs> or 10 pounds for a flight. This is what you get. Um, but yeah, but it's almost like they're, I'm seeing some airlines do more like promotions, you know, versus dropping prices. It might be like, Hey, you know, you get, uh, you get to bring a bag on for free now or which used which to be really smart. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and these two for one deals. So, so I, I guess you got to weigh out yeah. sometimes with these promotions, it might actually be worth it. Absolutely. And now in the U S most of these airlines have waived all of their sort of change fees permanently, mm-hmm. which is a huge, huge step. So, you know, I've, we've been, one thing that I've been noticing is that <clears throat> the, the plus side of COVID is that the tables I feel like have really turned where the airlines are really sort of adjusting their policies to be in the favor of the traveler. I felt like before everyone always felt like it was them against the airline. They never had a choice, you know, change fees, paying for your bag, paying to choose your seat, all of these things. It always just constantly felt like the airlines had the upper hand, but it feels like it's all really changing right now. And they're waiving these change fees because they recognize that this is a time where they need to absolutely cater to the traveler, right? That they need to make the traveler feel comfortable in this time of uncertainty. And so it's actually coming, you know, coming about in a really amazing way. Obviously, we're seeing all of these enhanced cleaning policies. We're seeing much more flexibility. Um, you know, I, I feel like the airline industry is really making a change and it's it's for the better. And I think we all hope that these changes really sort of last and stick around even when COVID is over. It's almost like they're coming full circle because we, we've we mentioned this before that flying back in the day, like way before any of us were born, but it was such a privilege, right? And you went and you were treated like a king or queen on these airlines um, and they didn't have all these extra yeah. charges and everything. And then over time, you know, get how business works. They want to make as much money as they can. And that's where they started adding on, you know, pay for your seat, pay for your bag, pay for extra legroom, all that. But whereas now you're right there, it's almost like they're going back to catering to the customer a bit. Also, because they probably see that, as we talked about before, people are getting used to this idea of staycations where they're going, you know what, I don't have to get on a plane to have a vacation. I can rent an RV or I can do a um, a road trip somewhere. So they're probably seeing that going, all right, we don't want people getting too used to this. Like we want people getting back on, <laughs> back on the flight. And yeah, you're right. I would hope that this kind of the the idea of the, the customer versus the airline is in the past. I mean, we'll see, but yeah, I should hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. yeah. We did another episode on this, revenge travel. I'm sure you've heard of this term in the travel industry. I have. I have. What are your thoughts on this? And again, in terms of what people are saying is going to happen once the skies really open up, that everyone's just going to start booking everything and traveling everywhere. And while I'm definitely one of those people, I feel like actually a lot of people are going to be the opposite. Yeah, this one's a really interesting one because I, I, you know, well, first of all, I see people traveling now. Um, so I'm not quite sure it's going to be sort of this thing that comes in sort of full force, you know, 2021 or, or whenever that ends up being. One thing that I do think is happening is that people who are big travelers who may not be sort of spending as much of their travel budget now as they normally would are potentially more likely to sort of be saving up their money for that big bucket list trip that they had, you know, sort of always wanted to take, but maybe never felt super attainable. 
but perhaps right now it gives them the opportunity to sort of stay put, save their money, you know, put the money in the bank for that big trip and then actually take it. And potentially the prices might be a slightly more affordable than they would have been normally. Um, you know, but otherwise I, I, I'm not quite sure it's going to be sort of this big rush because I think it's actually going to be a big, I think people are going to just sort of phase into it the way they have been now. Right. I think there are some flights where you go and, and they're probably half empty. Mm -hmm. And then there are some flights that are sold over capacity still. So, you know, I think it's, it's really dependent on the place where you're from, the destination that you're going to, um, and the time of year. It'll be really interesting to see what actually happens during the holidays because that's such a huge travel time. Yes. And, and people want to be, be with family. And so are they going to sort of, you know, do, do what, you know, what they normally do and sort of go and travel, or are they going to have a different you know, different holiday this year and, and maybe stay close to home. That one, I think, is one that we're not um, we're not super clear on what's going to happen. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, and maybe you guys, it's still not clear on your end either, but have you seen any trends in terms of, you know, those holiday bookings on, because I would imagine you guys probably see bookings between certain times in like December, January, which you can sort of assume those are, you know, people going home for the holidays, but have you seen a decline in that? Yeah, I think um, I wouldn't say we've seen it's hard to say that we've seen a decline because obviously because of COVID, everything's, you know, a little bit different. But, um, you know, one thing with the holidays is that that was the one time when people booked really far out. So the booking lead times were always, you know, sort of much longer because everybody knew exactly when they wanted to go. Right. It's not like a it's not like a vacation or like spring break when you know, you're not quite sure when you're going to want to leave or where you're going to want to go and things like that. Like for the holidays, it's a pretty repetitive mm -hmm. and a pretty sort of set in stone scenario in terms of travel a lot of the times. So we're definitely not seeing people, you know, I think book as longer out. And But that's a trend that we're seeing overall. Lead times have become much, much shorter. Mm. So, you know, I it's it's tough to say whether we're going to see sort of that that uptick um, come, you know, sort of Thanksgiving. We've got it in the U.S. and Canada and then, of course, Christmas, um, you know, so I think um, it's it's too it's too soon to tell. Yeah, we're not sure yet. And and it's funny that you mentioned like people book these way in advance. I mean, I am not one of those people. I always leave my Christmas booking to the last minute, which is such a it's stupid <laughs> because you're right. I know every I do, year I do that, too, though. I do that, too. <laughs> It's because of the change fees. Yeah. To be honest, like the change fees have put, have made me a last minute traveler because my life is a little bit sort of chaotic at times, obviously with, especially now with having a child, like, and then I'm dealing with my husband's work schedule and things like that. So, um, you know, the idea of having to sort of pay a fee to change or a penalty and that kind of stuff has always been just something that I've never wanted to do. Right. But that means that it makes me more of a last minute traveler. But, but I recognize that that means that at times I'm going to have to pay a little bit more. Right. But luckily I work for Expedia. So I know all these sort of like tips and tricks for how to try and find the best deal. So I, I spend hours finding the right flight um, or the right package because, you know, that's I, I recognize that I put myself in a position where. I need to get a little bit more creative with finding a better deal. Yeah. I don't even have an excuse with a child or a husband or anything. I just book last minute because mm -hmm. I'm really disorganized. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> I I need to start using tools like this a little bit better because I sort of just look at the dates. And again, I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot to book this book. But 
Um, I guess in terms of like budget, maybe not even budget travelers, but just getting the best deals. Like what are some of the tips you can give listeners? Are these things that we hear about what days you book on true? And if you, you know, clear your cash because the cookies that have said it online, is that all true or is that all just a hoax? (laughs) The, The day you book on that does come into effect because we have, you know, we look at data year on year. Um, and so it, basically shows us in black and white right there's no there's no ambiguity there's no misinterpretation on that one mm-hmm. um the clearing your cookies is definitely a um a myth that is absolutely not something that happens um you know i think that's that's actually illegal i think in some some parts of the world to um to adjust the price based on based on things like that so that's not a that's not a trick um, it maybe by coincidence it might happen, um, but that's only because the prices are so dynamic that if you know they sell ten seats, it can change the price, right? Because these airlines are looking at the supply and demand every single minute, right? And so they're constantly evaluating the price of these flights. So absolutely possible that you can go in and see a price at nine a.m. on a Monday. And then by noon, the price may have gone up or down, right? And that's just based on purely supply and demand. Yeah, which makes sense. And it's even, you know, it's like you said, that whole myth of, you know, the cookies saying like, I also knew that isn't true. And you're right. There's, I work in tech and the advertising industry myself. So I'm like, I know that that's not legal. Um, But even, you know, I remember when I used to book online and it would be like, quick, like book this now, there's one seat left. And I always used to sort of call like BS on it, but then it would actually be like, sorry, sold out. I'm like, oh wait, this is real. (laughs) Like they're not, they're not kidding. (laughs) These things are real. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, I would say that some of the biggest tips that I have for people are if you can have a little bit of flexibility on the day that you leave and the day that you sort of come home, I think you can definitely see some variances in price there. So of course, if you think about just like the average working world who has off Saturdays and Sundays, Mm. those are naturally really, really busy times, right? So if people want to take a long weekend, a flight that leaves on a Thursday night or a Friday afternoon, maybe, Mm -hmm. are probably going to be more expensive than a flight that leaves on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Same with return. If you're flying home on a Sunday, that's a very, very popular time to fly home, right? Because it's the end of the weekend. So consider looking at flights on a Monday morning, perhaps, or maybe even a red eye if you really want to get some of those better, better deals. So just, I, you know, I always tell people, think about, um, you know, think about the general population, what you think everybody else is doing and try and not do that. And then you're more likely to get a cheaper price. I was going to say the other big tip that we have, and this is really specific for Expedia, is we have sort of a section on our website that allows you to book what we call packages or or bundled items. And they're not packages in a sense of like, you know, an Apple vacation or, uh, you know, one that's like sort of like all inclusive. It just means that the prices are opaque for the individual items. And the reason why they're opaque is because the supplier, so the airline or the hotelier or the car rental company, Um, have discounted their prices so much, but they don't want their competitors to see how much they've discounted their price. Okay. So we bundle it into one singular price for everything. So all you see is the final price at the end. So let's say you're going and you're booking a hotel 
and a flight, you don't actually see how much the flight costs versus how much the hotel costs. All you see is how much it costs together. And so that is where you can really get some amazing savings because that is intentionally designed to sell inventory for our partners who want to discount it, but don't want their competitors to see how cheap it is. So um, it doesn't always work out that way. So you have to sort of go and find the right combination of, you know, sort of hotel and um, and an airline or hotel and car or airline and car, whatever your sort of mix is. I had a situation once where um, in typical sort of Nissy fashion, I'm booking very, very last minute. My cousin was getting married in Spain, which I knew about like a year and a half in advance. As you normally do, save <laughs> um, the date. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it was prime, prime time to go to Europe, which is the summertime. And so, and I knew this, like I work in travel and I knew that my tickets were going to be super expensive, but I just waited. I mean, this was before I had a baby. So this was just pure, like you so know, you, chaos. Of you were like me. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's six weeks before the wedding. I go to sort of find my flight and of course they're over a thousand dollars each for me and my husband. And I knew that it was going to be like that because, you know, I'm booking so late. It's summertime. It's Spain, which is like the greatest place on earth. So, um, you know, I spent hours looking at different package combinations. So I would add a hotel for one night. I would add a hotel for two nights, um, you know, sort of different. And I didn't need a hotel, by the way, um, because I was staying in a vacation rental with my family. We had rented this like gigantic place, but I was sort of, um, the the wedding was in Granada, and so I knew I had to fly into either Madrid or Barcelona. So I was like, okay, well, what if I flew in and then spent the night there and then the next day sort of took a flight to Granada? Could I sort of get um, some some good bundles? And I ended up saving $1,500 because I added a hotel in Barcelona for one night. That's crazy. $1,500? Oh. You saved from just... $1,500. Oh, wow. See, I would never think to yeah. do that, but you're, I mean, I guess these are, these are the tips and tricks that, yeah, exactly. that some people, if you, if exactly. you've got enough time to do it and, and spend, I mean, again, I would probably need someone to do this for me, but <laughs> I but, love um, that. I'll do I it know, for and you. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's something that we've been talking a lot about sort of, you know, internally at Expedia is, you know, these are some really amazing tips and hacks, but it absolutely takes time to go in and to find them. So you know, as we constantly try and evolve and work through, we're trying to think through, okay, how can we serve this stuff up better for the customer so that they don't have to go in? Not Because, of course, not everybody wants to spend, you know, an hour going through and matching different sort of combinations. And not everybody has the sort of flexibility um, when they're traveling or the, or the time to do that. So it, it takes some work, but it absolutely pays off when you put when you do it. It's almost like and you, maybe one day we'll go back to the day, like Expedia will have sort of on-hand travel agents and we'll, again, almost be like the airlines come full circle where we're kind of going back in the day where you just have someone <laughs> sitting there clicking the button for you. I think you know, you never know. I mean, maybe that, that ends up being sort of computers. I feel like that's sort of the, the way that we're, that we're headed. Yeah, well, we'll see. The future of booking online. I wanted to talk shoulder season. Steph had actually never heard this term before, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that don't know what shoulder season is. So can you yeah. just give a, a quick explanation on what shoulder season means? I can. So shoulder season most commonly refers to a certain time of year, which is that short window between peak travel periods. Mm. 
So September through early November, for example, in the United States is considered shoulder season because kids have gone back to school. Uh, summer travel is over. And it's just before we hit our big holiday travel period, which is the Thanksgiving time frame. Okay. Similarly, April to May is often a shoulder season as well because it's sandwiched in between sort of midwinter break and spring break and then summer travel. There's also shoulder season when it comes to sort of a destination and you're looking at their high and low tourism seasons, which is almost directly correlated to a holiday or more importantly, the weather. So low seasons are usually the cheapest time to go, but there's a reason why it's so cheap. And that's because the weather could be really cold, rainy, or, you know, hurricanes or something like that. That's why shoulder season is actually really this like major, major sweet spot and is a very, um, you know, I think insider travel piece that a lot of people don't think about because it does take a little bit more research, but it's really easy to figure out once you sort of know what you're looking for. Okay. So at the time we're in now, where are some of the destinations that people are normally looking at come, I guess, September, October? And also going back to COVID, are, are we seeing, you know, different patterns now because of that? So we haven't looked at the shoulder season data specific to COVID because um, we just don't really have, you know, we haven't really had enough data to give us any sort of insights to be honest that that would be meaningful but i would say um hawaii is a great place to go in september because um you know the weather is the weather is pretty good and it's right before it gets to be um you know a little bit chillier there and a little bit rainier there and obviously summer vacation is over so it's definitely a, a nice sweet spot i also think that europe is really really great in september um because, you know, it's not super cold and rainy there yet. I think you're still going to be sort of at the, it's going to be at the beginning of, of the winter weather, but it's fall, the air is a little bit more crisp, but you've absolutely missed that sort of summer rush. I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that in Europe, Europe in general all goes on vacation in July and August. Mm-hmm. I mean, so e- everything shut so- down. <laughs> Everything shut down. It's so absolutely busy there. Um, so when you all of a sudden look at September timeframe or even October, you are getting into um, a little bit of a different time. The exception of that, of course, is Germany because of Oktoberfest. So that's where we've got seasonality, but now we have to add in the holiday or the sort of festival, if you will, um, for the local market that you need to make sure that you keep into consideration. And if anyone hasn't been to Oktoberfest in Munich, do go. It is the funnest festival yeah. I think I've ever been to. I've been a couple times. That's actually where I lost my passport one year. So things got a little carried away, but <laughs> as they should be, it means yeah, it was a I good I want to hear time. that story. Yeah. Uh, I can share that with you. <laughs> with you. Uh, yeah. Some of the, it was, it was good. And you're right. In Europe, come to London around August, September, October, because the weather is really nice. I mean, even in the summer, it does actually get really hot here. Um, and when we get into that sort of crisp fall weather, I always find that's when I really love London the most. Sweater weather. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Canada as well. Whenever I have friends over here saying, oh, I really want to go go visit Canada, what's a great time to go? I always say the fall because, again, we get we get the humid summers, which are really sticky and hot. And then obviously the winters are freezing cold. So, yeah, that, again, sweater weather is the perfect time. Yeah, I think fall 
is an amazing time of year, just sort of overall. And so, but it's also an amazing time to travel. And if you think, you know, the reason for that a lot of times is school holidays and school breaks and things like that. And at that point in September, everybody has gone back to school. Right. And while obviously there are a lot of travelers that aren't, you know, sort of families, um, the majority of people I would say who are taking these sort of big vacations are end up do end up being families. So that school year um, does come into effect. And what about is the beginning of the year, I guess, springtime, is this considered shoulder season as well or no? I would say spring is definitely considered shoulder season in certain parts of the country. Um, so Europe is one where if you go during May, um, you definitely can get some mild temperatures and decent prices. I think the weather's not yet, um, <clears throat> the weather hasn't yet, you know, gotten super hot. You're at the tail end of that sort of rainy season a little bit. I think additionally, if we look at, um, Central America, so Belize, for example, um, May is a really great time to go, uh, Florida and the Caribbean as well. Um, and the reason for that is a, the weather. So Florida and Caribbean, obviously they're, um, like hurricane season and extreme heat starts to really come in, in, you know, starting at, let's just say starting in like June and July and in May, uh, obviously it's, it's going to get nice and warm. Um, and it's not going to be rainy at all. Uh, so, but it's also a really weird time for people to travel because it's not summer vacation yet and spring break is over. Mm. So it ends up being this really nice, sweet spot. I actually love going to Florida, um, during May. I mean, it's obviously my birthday month as well. So I think I, that's probably why, but, um, prices can start to get really, um, really cheap. Okay. I would say Southeast Asia, um, much of Southeast Asia is going to have a spring and fall shoulder season. So that's sort of mid-April to May or Oct October to early November. And that is very much based on the weather. Yeah, I think Steph and I have, you know, mentioned before in episodes that we've booked things in the past and really overlooked things like what the weather's like oh in certain countries and you know if there's festivals or things going on and, and you even mentioned Florida like spring break I would not want to be in Florida during spring break but no absolutely you, I, not. I'm too old for that I'm yeah, way too old for that I showed up to Joshua Tree to go camping and normally you can just drive up and book a campsite and I drove up with some friends and it was spring break week and as Canadians we don't even actually think about spring break like ours is very different so yeah we pulled up and it was just a zoo and they're like this is the one week of the year we're sold out on every site <laughs> and we ended up pitching a tent on the outside fence of joshua tree with like no facilities nothing and just yeah. oh no <laughs> yeah yeah and just made do yeah for the i night. think i mean that's the thing and you have to think about obviously you've got your you know, for your point of origin, your sort of seasonality, your school times, your sort your holidays, but then you need to think of all of those factors of the destination as well. So if it's Christmas time and, or, you know, obviously it's Christmas time everywhere, but if it's Thanksgiving in Canada, it's still going to be more expensive because even though it's not Thanksgiving in the U.S. yet or anywhere else, but that's because you're leaving Canada and that's a big holiday time, Right. If you're going to the United States during Thanksgiving, it's going to be very busy, even if it's not Thanksgiving in Europe. 
So you have to really take into account all of these different factors, both for your point of origin and also your destination. No, definitely. And I mean, the only time this has ever worked out very well for Steph and I is when we went to Edinburgh together a few years ago. And we went during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is a massive festival. And we had no idea it was on and we just got a train and it wasn't like the train was expensive. And we had a free hostel, didn't we, Steph? Because... I can't remember what happened there. There was some mix up and we ended up getting no, a, f- that was, a free room. Yeah, that was a yeah, that was a contest I won with saying That's it. So we won a contest or Steph, I say, I say we, I wasn't there. Steph won the contest and we showed up and we're like, "Oh, what's what's happening?" And there was a massive festival going on and we're like, "Well, this worked out perfectly." Um so we just yeah, I mean, in that case, once again, us being disorganized and not actually looking this stuff up, it worked out in our favor, but that's the only time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it happens. Sometimes sometimes these things work out in your favor. Sometimes they don't. I think the most important thing with shoulder season, like our biggest tip, is that you need to be ready for the unexpected and be prepared to just roll with the punches. Because that is the whole, nothing is guaranteed in shoulder season. So things might still be closed, right? Like every, you know, things shut down a lot in high sort of t- tourist destinations. In low seasons, a lot of the places might, you know, shut down restaurants and things like that between, let's say, Memorial Day and Labor Day here in the United States. So things could be shut down. The weather is going to be unpredictable. Um, You know, the one thing that is probably you can feel good about is that there'll be less crowds. But that's the but that's the reality of it that you just if you're going to plan on traveling during shoulder season, you need to just be prepared for anything and, and be ready to roll with the punches. So a shoulder season traveler is not somebody who wants everything to go exactly the way they need it to go every single time. It's it's a very unpredictable time of year. But if you're someone who can roll with the punches and, and you like the idea of experiencing a destination when it's a little less crowded and you want to get a better price, then it's absolutely the thing for you to do. And I guess it's that whole mentality of hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Um, and I definitely know absolutely. I have friends that are very much, you know, that's how they travel. And if they can get a cheap deal and, you know, some friends of mine just came back from Greece. Not that, not that, you know, it's shoulder season there yet, but it was like thunderstorms, pissing down rain the whole week. And they were kind of like, yeah, we still had a good time. Like it is what it is. We got a cheap flight there anyways. So you got to just, as you said, roll with the punches and can't expect everything to go perfect anyways in your holidays. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, you just got to, in general with travel, I think we've all learned that it's just unpredictable overall, but even more so during shoulder season. Yeah. Well, and this is, I mean, all those unpredictable stories. This is exactly why Steph and I have this podcast because we have a lot of those stories. So (laughs) yeah, everything that you've learned. Exactly. And that's what I try to tell everyone too, is that those unpredictable moments, even in the moment, try not to be so frazzled because those are always the, that's what you remember Mm -hmm. about the trip. And you can go into that and you can remember that in a positive light or a negative light. Yeah. But they're great. They're always great moments, even when they're challenging. Yeah, I think I I look back now on a lot of my vacations and which, you know, had all of these sort of weird ups and downs or um, bizarre moments. And I find that for the most part, I look back on a lot of them and I laugh um, because it created a memory. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's up to me to determine how I want to categorize that memory as either something that, oh, I'm never going to travel again or I'm never going to go to that place again. Uh, or I categorize it as, boy, what an experience that was. Like, 
how 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 did that happen to us um and you know i i look back and i reflect on it and it's just something that i i look back at fondly now yeah and that's it i mean i can't think of a single place that i've traveled to and and again i've had a lot of bad things happen during my travels but i've never looked back and been like well that sucked you know as you said it was you look back you smile and go that was an experience <laughs> the ahead. one thing i really want to ask is I feel like here in Australia, we're in this little bubble right now where our government, we're not allowed to leave. Um, They've said we're definitely not allowed to leave until June 2021. And that may be extended depending on how other countries are handling COVID. Um, Have you guys seen any trends or do you have any predictions for what will kind of happen with the Australia bubble? Interesting. Well, I think for Australia, absolutely everyone is traveling domestically. Um, I think domestic travel was, even before COVID, was on the rise for Australia. Um, And, you know, I would say we'll include New Zealand in that one for, you know, all intents and purposes. But it was already on the rise, I think, just for a variety of reasons. I think um, after the the bushfires in Australia, there was a huge drive to want to go and support the local economies and the local destinations that were so heavily impacted there. Um, And so I think that created just this overall sort of sense of community and camaraderie. And I feel like that has really sort of stayed true even with COVID. And so I'd like to think that when COVID is over, that sense of community and that wanting to sort of really help support local destinations is probably something that we're going to continue to continue to see stick around. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, as you talking about the bushfires, specifically that I know Steph, you've mentioned it before where, yeah, everyone just did have this, you know, drive to sort of build up the community again and then COVID happened. And, um, but I still feel like Australians are being really positive, trying to stay positive. They anyways. are. They're, they're just a positive group. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. yeah we're trying yeah <laughs> we're, they're testing us but we're just hanging in there <laughs> stay positive there will be a light at the end of the tunnel um where's just you personally where what's on your bucket list where's your next go-to or your must uh you know your must do of maybe the next one we can really travel again where are you gonna be off to yeah we're gonna go to greece it was um it was where we had planned on going this summer uh, so I'm still planning on going there. Like the next, the next option that I can. Um, so hopefully maybe next summer we'll see. Um, it's definitely a place that I want to go. I feel like, um, you know, my husband's actually from Cyprus. So I've been to Cyprus, which is absolutely such a, such a beautiful place. I think that's actually a really fun, you know, tip for people. If you want to go to Greece, but want something that's a little, um, less touristy or a little less crowded than Cyprus is a really good sort of um, sort of option. But we went to Cyprus to visit his family, and I absolutely loved it. Um, and he's actually never been to Greece, and I've never been either. So we felt like it would be a really nice way to sort of go and sort of continue to see the Greek culture, mm-hmm. um, and you know, obviously get a little bit of relaxation time if we can. Yeah, I mean that seems to be a very popular spot amongst Europeans, especially this year. I've got a lot of friends that did Greece this summer, um, and absolutely loved it. I've been once before. I went to Crete, which was beautiful. So you'll have a great time once you can actually go again. Good, good. I'm excited. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us again this week. It was really great to get some insight again from an expert and not just Steph and I trying to predict the future (laughs) of travel. (laughs) 
thank you for having me. But, you know, sometimes I feel like you guys are experts as well because you've just traveled so much. So don't tell yourself short over there. But it was it was great to be on the show. Great conversation. All the Shit I've Learned Abroad is a travel podcast focused on anything and everything related to travel. You can listen to us on multiple platforms from iTunes to Google Play Music and more. And with that, please, if you have a chance, give us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. That drives us up the charts and really, really helps us out. Want to support us on Patreon? Find us over at Shit I've Learned Abroad Pod. Donations start as low as just $1. Also, if you could follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Shit Abroad Pod and Facebook by searching all the shit I've learned abroad. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.